you go through periods of anger at all of this stuff, at people, at situations, and you run the situations over your head. Oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. Should have said all those things. And and now all I have is is love and prayer that the Holy Spirit opens up their eyes to truly see how how different their lives can be if they actually put themselves under Christ, not under whoever the leader is at this point. Welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and today we have Joel on the show today. How are you doing, Joel? I am doing pretty great. How about yourself? I'm very Joel. good. <laughs> Just to get really confusing. Yeah. Good thing we've got different accents, otherwise that would sound it's, very it's confusing. True. <laughs> so um, I was just saying to Joel, uh, when we first got on um, on uh, online, what are we on? Skype? Not Skype. Zoom. Zoom. And um, that I was actually named after a Joel, and this is where it gets really weird. I was named after a Joel Webb, and we have Joel Webb on the show today, but he's a different Joel Webb on the other side of the world, and I just find that amazing. Like the chances was when you first signed up to be on the Jesus Magnet podcast, I was like, is this the Joel Webb that I've heard about my entire <laughs> life, but I've never met him? Yeah. And um, sadly, it's not. But um, I'm so grateful to meet you, Joel, and that we've got another amazing Joel with an amazing beard, amazingly musical, um, and I always wear flannel shirts as well, uh, just in today. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it's just cool to have uh, another Joel on the on the show. So welcome, Joel. I'm keen to hear yeah, your story. You. <laughs> and he yeah. is, for those listening, the host of the Pastors the Pastor Call podcast. So um, that's going to be. I'm definitely going to sink my teeth into that show. Um, throughout the next couple of weeks and see how your podcasting skills are. But um, yeah, very <laughs> keen very keen to hear uh, your podcast as well, Joel. So make sure that you guys check that out. I'll leave a link in the description below so make it nice and easy to find. But we're here to hear your story, Joel, and how God has radically changed you. And um, yeah, so why don't we just pass it over to you, Joel Webb from the States or Canada, was it? Well, yes. Uh, I'm in the United States now, but I was born and raised in Canada. So uh, dual citizen, uh, been living in the States a, a while now. Um, it's kind of part of the the long-winded story, and I won't TLDR it too much. You know, too long, didn't read it. But um, yeah, I was born and raised in uh, about an hour and a half east of Toronto, Ontario, uh, to my mom and dad. My mom's originally from Michigan, very near where I live now. Um, but my dad's from that part of Ontario, born and raised in a pastor's home. I have a twin brother, um, and my dad was a pastor of the small country church, grew up in this church, you know, gave my heart to Jesus at a young age. And uh, this was a kind of a small, independent, but affiliated Pentecostal church that that uh, that I grew up in. And, um, you know, childhood normal, you know, seemed every, everything was actually seemed really, really great. And it really, really was. I appreciate my parents so much. And uh, looking back, and, you know, we'll get to that as a story goes, you know, looking back, knowing the things I know now, um, it's just the goodness of God, how amazing my parents were and are. Um, Because despite all the dysfunction that we were operating in, and and again, I'll touch on that on, on the church and familial level, my parents were this kind of weird blip of normalcy compared to everything else. So that that's just how amazing God is um, in, in all of that. So was raised in, in, a, in a church background and in a church setting. Um, and I have a story that kind of a lot of pastor's kids do have in a way, you know, you kind of get the cliche pastor's kids rebel and do their own thing. And um, my story with that was very behind the scenes. Uh, it was very hidden, uh, you know, for those who are who grow up in a ministry context or especially a pastor's kid context, you get good at like hiding stuff really easily. You know, uh, we, and all of us as Christians get that, you know, you, you look one way on Sunday, you know, it's kind of like the, the old casting crown song, um, you know, but we look good on Sunday, but kind of the rest of the week is just, however, mm. and my life really became that way in high school. Um, you know, I can remember key moments in my life, you know, making decisions, heading down a track of, 
of looking one way for family and church people, but, you know, hanging out with certain people and doing certain things um, in in high school and got really good at kind of this whole double life shtick. It's really um, common, isn't it, Joel, to have yeah. uh, us as Christians, especially growing up in the church, that you, you don't want to be that weird guy that's the Christian at church, but you want to fit in. But then the Bible says to be a light and to be set apart <laughs> at the same time. Yep. So it's this mm-hmm. real conviction that we battle with every week mm-hmm. um, as, you know, going to church every week from such a young age, especially being a yeah. pastor's kid. I can imagine just that you'd, mm-hmm. you'd be having the Bible, God talks, a morning, lunch, and mm-hmm. dinner um, in your family and then trying to fit yeah. in. Um, it can be quite difficult. What's one of the ways that you cope with that as, as a kid were you embarrassed to say, yeah, my parents are pastors? I've heard that quite a few times. No, and and that's the that's the thing. Like my brother and I got a very well-known reputation, particularly in our, in our high school, uh, for even debating theology at a high level. Like the awesome. of God with teachers. Like so we were known for that. Like we would have – you know, there would be political things that would happen at school or this or that in Canada. And Canada is usually about 10 years culturally – farther along than the united states is yeah um and so people just knew who we were and what we were about um but despite that underneath the surface that we would still do the things our friends were doing we were you know i was still held captive by the thing that a lot of men struggle with um you know and it was just the norm you know like okay whatever you know i'd go to summer camp and you know get free for like a week and a half and then be right back into you know looking at things on the internet i shouldn't be Mm. um and, it's a huge struggle uh, for Christians. And, and so it was it was this it was this real double face mentality of I would I would argue um I would argue for God so amazingly, but I, I didn't have the fruit of that living existent in my life um because I was bound and held captive by sin. So did you have um, a genuine relationship with Christ at that young age? Or you just knew a lot about him? It was it I knew a lot about him. I knew a lot about him. I knew the facts, I knew the arguments, I knew the scriptures I needed to know. Um, you know, I've always been a history nerd and like a theology nerd and all the all the nerd things. And so I knew all the stuff. Mm. And um, you know, and mixing with that was probably a little bit of Pentecostal experientialism. Um, you know, not you know, and there definitely is elements of Pentecostal experience that are that are true. Can you expand um, on that a little bit, just for some of our I, listeners that might yeah, not know what that means? Yeah, so in in certain Pentecostal experiences, a lot of it can just be emotional. There, there can be a lot of, and it, it's a it's a balance because God can work in us and through us through our emotions because we're emotional beings. But a lot of the times, certain elements of Pentecostal experience can just be pure emotion. Mm. Um, and maybe aren't guided by the spirit because maybe the, maybe the gifts of the spirit that are being utilized are not being utilized within the confines or operated under the confines of scripture. Mm. Um, and so you get a lot of just emotional and you just kind of go by feeling, but then you're really saying we're actually led by the spirit, but you can then later tell Ona that was definitely emotion. So, Mm. um, I definitely had a lot of emotional experiences. Um, I do know I had several points in my life. I can think of one time I was sitting on a bench in a prayer meeting and I know I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, confess this right now or, or, um, or it's going to be a long road. Um, and I can think back to myself sitting in, in our living room, um, like 16 years old, the Holy Spirit was telling me I need to confess and come f- clean with my issues with pornography and, and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't, but I know that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Um, and then that, that led down, down a further, you know, further path of getting involved, um, with wrong people. I never, I never, oh, ever came out and said, no, I don't believe in God. You know, I, I was just choosing to live in disobedience. Um, and, uh, I was choosing to live contrary to what, um, what I knew was right. Ultimately is what it boiled down to. It was just rebellion. <laughs> um, but what that eventually led to was after high school, I had done a year of college in Canada, and then I was going to go and study at the the church organization we were with at the time. I was going to go study at their Bible school. They have a two-year ministerial program that they offer, and I was going to go do that. Well, around that time, my parents actually got called to the mission field in Africa. And when that happened, I'm like, oh, this is going to make it easier because while I was telling people I was going to go to this Bible school, I was actually going to 
Um, I was dating a girl in secret long distance at the time, and I was actually going to move to where she was to go to university there and move in with her. <laughs> um, so I was making all these conniving plans. Um, you know, like my non-Christian friends knew, you know, this is kind of what I was doing and all that kind of stuff. But I, I was, I was going to be. I was planning to make my decision of I'm going to go and do my own thing. Um, for the longest time for in my life, I knew I had a call in ministry as well for ministry, um, uh, you know, vocational ministry. And I knew that that's what God was calling me to do. But I really wanted to be a history teacher. You say vocational at, mission, mission, ministry? Vo- vocational. Oh, vocational. I was going to say vocational. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I got Yeah, I'm called to a beach ministry in Hawaii <laughs> or Aruba or something, but <laughs> – um, I was, I knew I was called to vocational ministry and, uh, but I, I wanted to go do my own thing. And so I was going to run off to university, move in with my girlfriend, a girlfriend at the time too, that all my non-Christian friends said was crazy. Um, you know, there was a lot of red flags that I just wasn't seeing because I was being taken captive by my own desires. Just as, just as Israel yeah. was taken into captivity into Babylon, they were taken to the, the greatest place of idolatry. Mm. Um, you know, I was dating a girl who was an avowed anti-theist. Um, wow. you know, uh, like all of the things. Mm. Um, you know, but that's what happens is you can have times where God puts you in a place of captivity. Mm. Um, and that started to, to work on my heart. Um, but just as I was getting ready to go, uh, you know, within two or three months of this time where I was going to be going uh, to run away to the school and do my own thing and make it clear that I'm making my own decisions. Um, as I mentioned, my parents have been called to the mission field in West Africa, Cameroon. They traded with a missionary couple. They came back. They had some medical stuff they had to deal with with their child and and some other things. And so my parents went over to take their place, and this missionary couple came and took over the church. And my brother and I were going to go visit them later in the year. But less than four months after they got there, it just worked out situationally for us to go visit them then. Um, And uh, my brother and I went. We went. We were going to be there for two weeks. And I ended up staying a year. Um, Yeah. Like (laughs) within a day of – like within a couple days of us getting there, my parents said, we really feel maybe God is wanting you to stay here with us in Cameroon in Africa. Um, you know, my mom had been feeling it for a long time. She'd been praying about it. She asked a bunch of different people about it. Um, and other people had confirmed that, yes, this is, you know, maybe this is what God's saying. And so they asked me and God knows how, but I said, yes, uh, I decided I would stay in Africa. And, and when I tell people this, this, this was really my Jonah experience, Mm. Africa in a good way was Jonah for me because I was in certain relationships doing certain things, going a certain direction. Uh, but then through ultimately God's goodness, you know, I was taken in a different way. Um, you know, and in a positive light, well, Africa separated me from all these relationships and all these decisions and started me back on a path towards what God had for me. Right. Yeah. Um, so just as like Jonah was heading in a certain direction, Mm. um, you know, he eventually knew, oh, I have to jump out of the boat. Like, I'm the reason for the storm. And then he does, and then he gets swallowed and then spit up near Nineveh. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I know for myself that that the Af- Africa experience was my Jonah experience because it, it took me away from these things that, while it was my own decisions, ultimately, it took away from some of the things that were contributing or adding to to those decisions. And, um, you know, that wasn't the fix all, of course, you know, I had a long way to go. I was still struggling with things, but I, had, but that was the Lord's setting me in, in a right direction. So I was in Africa for a year. Um, amazing experience. Um, you know, short term missions is great, but if you can get a longer term period in a foreign country, you really start seeing kind of below the surface of culture and interactions and all those different things. And, um, so I'm so thankful for the time I had in Cameroon and, um, what God did in me and particularly just, you know, redirecting me. So that, I came back after that. Did yeah. that, did oh, that build your faith and also your depth of, cause you, you knew a lot about God, but it sounds like you didn't really know God. Was that a moment yeah. that you actually started to sow deeper roots in almost your intimacy with Christ? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, at the time I made the decision to stay in Africa. Oh yeah. I'll stay in Africa. That's kind of cool. I had no recognition. Um, you know, because I, I really wasn't practicing. I wasn't truly following Jesus. I, I really wasn't. I was just going through the motions of Sunday. 
you know, I was going through the motions of looking good for people. Um, easy but, to but do, it was Afri- easy to be sucked into as a Christian. Yeah. It, it's so easy. Um, you know, we all fall into that. Mm. Um, and we absolutely need to live intentionally for Christ. And it's so yeah. easy to like get distracted by the shiny things of the world that mm-hmm. you, you just lose focus and you lose heart yeah. mainly. And when you lose yeah. heart, you just, like you said, go through the motions, go to church Sunday, put on the Sunday Christian face mm-hmm. and, um, you know what to say, you know how to act and you know how to pass yeah. the test. But, uh, mm-hmm. God looks right through that, looks at your heart and goes, mm-hmm. you know, I want to know you deeper. I want to know you more. Yeah. So I love yeah. how you God actually separated you from the shiny things and the distractions mm-hmm. and brought yeah. you to the wilderness mm-hmm. <laughs> into Africa. Yeah. Though it was it was beautiful, you know, where we lived, it was up in the mountains, it was very temperate, um bountiful bountiful agriculturally. Wow. Um you know, one of the misconceptions about Africa is it's poor and it's desertous and a lot of things and and you know, most of most Africans do they sustain themselves quite well. They're poor. A lot of many are poor, but it's not the destitute poverty that you necessarily think of. Um, you know, they certainly live on less than some people make in a day. Mm. Um, but it's not like this destitute. You know, we're you know scraping, and the only thing we have to eat is you know a bug. Um, mm. Though you know. Bugs are a consistent part of the diet, just traditionally, and they're quite delicious. <laughs> but um, so that's just you know a misconception, or that can be a misconception. Mm. Um, you know, unfortunately, one of the biggest issues plaguing the African continent as a whole is corruption in government. Mm. Um, and you know, so seeing tra- changes there would be huge. So many resources, so much intelligence among the people. Mm. Um, some of the smartest people I've met um, were, were in my time in Cameroon. So so smart. Um, so I, I came back from that year in Cameroon and moved. Came, I actually ended up coming to the states because uh, I was going to go to this two-year uh, Bible school program through the the church that I grew up in that my dad was a pastor in. It was technically independent, but it was part of an affiliation or a fellowship of churches, right. um, small independent Pentecostal affiliation of churches. Um, later I would come to find out it would have its ties in the historical latter rain movement that came out of the forties and fifties. Um, and, uh, the church that it was the church my dad had gotten saved in, they had gotten, uh, they became part of the charismatic renewal that took place in like the 1970s and eighties. And then they joined this organization. That's where my dad then met my mom. Um, and then, you know, he was pastor already there. And then, um, that's where my brother and I were born. So I I went to central south central New York state up in the you know up in the mountains up in the hills right along the Pennsylvania border for 2 years to attend their bible program their ministerial education program um and then I came out here to Michigan where I live now I live about an hour and a little bit north of Detroit um in a city called Port Huron um right on the Canada border we have the blue water bridge going to Canada um, but before that, I lived about 30 minutes south of here with family. Um, my mom's brother is, is the pastor of the church with this affiliation of churches in, in Michigan. Um, the, uh, well, the church here in Michigan, the affiliation has churches, a couple churches in kind of New York, Pennsylvania area, one here in Michigan, a couple other, some other places, two in Canada or one in Canada now. Um, plus they have missionaries and Bible schools around the world. So, um, so I was living with family um, and, you know, at at this point in my walk, it truly was my own faith. It truly was, was my own walk and my own relationship with Christ, um, you know, but that process of sanctification still happens. You know, uh, the Lord is working on you. And then and then COVID happened. My parents were still on the mission field. And then because of COVID and civil war going on in Cameroon, they came back to the States. Um, at this time, my brother had gone to Cameroon and lived there for almost two years after I left. And then he came back and then came to the United States, um, where he settled, met and married his wife. Um, but my parents came back and they decided to come to the States. And that is when things started changing. (laughs) Um, there was things that I had started noticing after coming off the mission field, questions about, Why does our group, our organization of churches operate in a certain way? Mm. Um, Why do we believe certain things? Why do we not associate with other churches? Why why do we not fellowship and do things with other churches? Because when you're on the mission field, um, 
you know, it's not a race thing. It's a culture thing. You want to be around people who are culturally like you because mm. <laughs> you understand each other. And so all the missionaries, we would get together and we'd be Baptists and Catholics and Presbyterians and Pentecostals and everything under the sun, you know, the denominational rainbow. Um, and we just fellowship together and share time together. But none of that ever really happens in any of our churches mm. in North America. Um, and I started asking these questions. Why do we see ourselves as better is kind of the question that it started out with. Um, and as time went on and when my when my parents came back to the States, my dad had started a doctoral program. And that's kind of when the floodgates opened because they started talking about cult- church culture. They started talking about uh, soul healing, uh, the health of your soul and your emotions. And then they started talking about dysfunctional church environments. Um, in church. In church. <laughs> like, well, in, in, in this doctoral program. Right, um, okay. It, it was a doctor of ministry program. And, and then so my dad started having material about having a healthy soul and mm. how your walk with Christ should look. And then we started looking around us at um, – you know, and I, I say this with all the grace that I can because these are all people. These are still a lot of family members that I I I truly love so much. But there was so much so much dysfunction and brokenness happening, and uh, you know, no proper um, structures and leadership that allowed for true accountability. Uh, and and actually, a lot of what turned out to be spiritually abusive leadership taking place. Mm. Um, and, and this is why I, at the beginning, I talked about how I'm so appreciative of God for my parents, because despite all of what we came to know as dysfunction, because of, it was a small country church that we were in and we were kind of far away from everybody in can on the outskirts of the denomination in Canada, we were kind of secluded from it. So we never got all the full trappings of the culture of a lot of these different churches. Right. Um, we were kind of our own little outcrop. And mm. so that was the grace of God. Um, but it started becoming very evident that we were living in a in a very dysfunctional church body. Mm. Um, and the real kicker is that it was primarily perpetrated by my own family. Right. Um, that it was family members of of mine who were the perpetrators of of this spiritual manipulation and abuse, um, toxic cult development of culture um, that that was going on. Um, and this opened up this whole this whole floodgate of of realizations about things that had taken place in the past. Um, you know, so often growing up, we would hear about people who left the church because they got bitter. Oh, well, they got bitter, so they left because maybe they were given some counsel, and so they left. Um, I actually had somebody, a friend of mine, he said, well, yeah, if I was given that counsel from the pastor, I would have left too. So, you know, but at the time of hearing that, I'm like, oh, well, whatever. But looking back, that makes sense. Mm. Um, and and that that turns out that that is one of the key tactics of abusive or toxic church environments is, you know, everybody who leaves is othered. Um, their their issues are discounted and they're actually reflected back onto that person. Mm. Um, so I would I would even I remember a couple times and, you know, in any of these situations, I, I, I'm not perfect. But I would take a concern to spirit, the spiritual leader in this particular situation um, about how I felt things were being conducted. And immediately that concern was now reflected back onto me um, without any question, without any discussion. So you're saying this is the issue. Well, that's actually how you're the issue of this mm-hmm. thing. Um, and that that's a very common tactic. Of, of abusive and toxic church culture. Yeah. Um, you know, we, you see it in situations with like Bill Hybels in Willow Creek. Um, and even the most recent, you know, church, uh, in Kansas city, um, in, in a lot of these big name churches, unfortunately you see this toxic leadership that's developed. Um, and you know, where the, the leaders are protected, there's no accountability and anybody who asks questions is discredited and marginalized. Mm. Um, and so we were cut my, myself and it's amazing how God did this. It was myself and my parents. Um, my brother had already gotten out of what we now call the cult. Um, but, <laughs> um, God brought myself and my parents out just at about the same time. Right. Um, 
And uh, we just we made the decisions to leave actually at the same time, just about the same time. My parents actually left a couple weeks before I did. Um, and you know the the crazy thing, like at the time that that happened, I was like twenty seven years old. So for twenty seven years of my life, I had grown up in a church structure in a certain way. This is how I understood church to be. This is how we do things. This is what we believe. And like the, I'm focusing on the the culture stuff because that can happen in any church. In any church, you know, there there are some theological things that I totally disagree with now from my background, but the culture stuff um, is what can permeate any church. It doesn't matter the denomination. It doesn't matter the background. Any church can fall under this, um, you know, because there are theological things that I now look at. I'm like, uh, that's not exactly scriptural. So let's <laughs> let's look at that again. But um, I'd grown up for 27 years in one way of things, and um, you know, so it, it's been a transition where my, my faith has actually been more alive than it ever has been. Um, but the more satisfying thing for me, actually, other, more than just my own journey and, and developing relationship with Christ through this has actually been seeing it in my parents. Um, cause my mom grew, like she's in her fifties now and she late mid fifties and she grew up in it. Like from from a kid, her her parents, my grandfather at the time of recording is still the head of this organization. Um, and so so my mom's grown up in this her her entire life. And to see them now, all of the the emotional and deep spiritual wounds that 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 God has healed um, the the aliveness and the vigor and the love for people through the love of Jesus Christ that they have for other people um, is more miraculous than my own story um, because it's a testament that I can say I can see how God has worked in my parents' life because my mom spent her entire life in this, Mm. my dad a long time in in a lot of this. Um, So just to clarify, um, this is a cultural thing that many churches fall under um, almost unknowingly uh, mm-hmm. And it's a where there's zero accountability. If something's mm-hmm. off on the church, somebody mm-hmm. in the church struggles to go to the pastor or to somebody that's in authority and say, "Hey, can you explain this scripturally?" Or I don't think we should be doing this based off these things. And they flip mm-hmm. it to say, "Actually, you're wrong. We're right every time." And mm-hmm. the accountability deters people from wanting to be able to say hey what about this it's not really an open book mm-hmm. um yeah it, it deters people and and it actually creates um it actually creates uh dependency yeah um it it really does create dependency because now you are relying on the other person to, to tell you what to do yeah to, to interpret to and um and again, this is a cultural thing. Like I said, there could be some theological things that I could pinpoint as problematic, but you know, the this background was culturally a cult. Yeah, because you're allowed um, to it, have theological differences, but yeah. it's you. You need to be allowed to bring those differences to the teachers, mm-hmm. to the yep. pastors, without having yep. to go onto the defense and just yep. have an open discussion about them. Mm-hmm. If you're immediately yeah. turned away saying you're wrong and I'm not even going to prove it. You're just wrong. <laughs> yeah. Then yeah. There's a and big I would issue. still, you know, I would still consider everybody saved. I would, I, I would consider, you know, the, their statement of belief, you know, I would consider them within the large tent of orthodoxy Absolutely. of, of, yeah. of acceptable Christian belief. But, but culturally the practices were very cult. Like yeah. there was a cult of, there's a still is a strong cult of personality around the founder of this organization who's been dead a lot, like a decade and a, over a decade and a half. Um, but people still refer to him like he's still telling people what to do and still writing books. Mm. Um, and uh, so coming from from this this mindset and mentality um, has, you know, my faith has never been more alive and truly been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um to, to do things. One of those things was my freedom from lust and pornography. Uh, you know, it, in, in the old way in the old system that I grew up in, there was really no power, um, because it was just, it was just fix yourself, mm. you know? Oh, okay. Stay accountable to this person and only come to me if it becomes a bigger problem. And that was all the help I got. Um, 
you know, you know, with that, there, there was, there was something missing. Um, and so from, from that situation, um, I'm now in the free Methodist church, um, pursuing ordination in this denomination in seminary right now. Um, during this whole process, God brought to me the most amazing woman ever that I married my wife. Uh, you know, she's from outside of this organization and, um, she's just been such a blessing, um, as, as a part of this journey as well. Um, it was like at the perfect time, like it was another element where she was like a part that kind of joined in the story that kind of helped me get out. Mm. Um, just because I started seeing a different way of, of doing things. And, um, when you're, when you're working through healing of, of traumatic things, you know, things that are core to who you are, cause now you have to ask yourself, like, am I actually saved? Like I've been, I've been living a workspace gospel my whole life. Almost. It seems like, yeah. Am I actually saved? What does it mean? You know, David writes in the Psalms, you know, to have the joy of his salvation restored. There is nothing that has been more amazing in my life than feeling the joy of salvation restored. Mm. Um, when you have that assurance from the Holy spirit that I have you like you are mine. And if you remain in me, you're going nowhere. Um, and, and there's been nothing like that in the course of my life. And when, when you get to that place, you know, you go through, I, I've gone through periods of anger at all of this stuff, at people, at situations, and you run the situations over your head. Oh, I should have said this. I should have said that should have said all those things. And, and now all I have is, is love and prayer that the Holy spirit opens up their eyes to truly see how the, how, how different their lives can be if they actually put themselves under Christ, not under whoever the leader is at this point, yeah. the leader is at this moment. Um, because there's no, there's no passing on the torch. There's no recognizing your own faults. It's I'm the leader. I'm right. And this is what we have to do. Um, and so since, since this has all taken place as well, we've actually seen a falling away from this organization pretty drastically. Um, as people have been hearing the stories of others, um, and, and it starting to experience the freedom of what it's like to be out of a toxic church culture and finding their own churches. Some have gone to Presbyterian churches. Some have gone to Baptist churches or assemblies of God, um, or other Methodist style churches, um, and have found family and community and relationship with the true and living Christ, um, and uh, it's been amazing to see. It's been one of the greatest pleasures of my life to see the difference in people's lives um, when they're out of dead religion and into life in Christ. Um, and my my story is just a microcosm of that. Um, it's just a small part of that. It's no, no more special than any of the other stories that are there. Um, but it's just another demonstration of the freedom Christ has brought. Um, yeah. And it's I'll just been, yeah. Yeah, so good, Joel. Um, I I like how you've been able to recognize that uh, you're not following you're you're not following man, but you're following God, and where you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit to actually be led and prompted by that. Um, I do want to ask some wisdom on knowing that it is God, but particularly for like for our listeners, how do you know that it is God sort of prompting these convictions? which essentially are saying leave church or go to a different mm -hmm. church. How do you know it's God and it's not some other voice? So another, and I'll, I'll share a story to illustrate, um, to illustrate this. So after we had left the, the church, the family church, so to speak, um, I started attending for a couple months, the church, my parents are now members at, and, um, I became friends with the pastor. My dad and I had started attending like a ministerial prayer group, a bunch of pastors from the area get together weekly and pray. And that was another huge part of our transition and our support was having this community of pastors and believers. And, but I, I, I'm really good friends with the pastor at my parents' church. Um, his wife and my wife worked together at the same school and, and other stuff like that too. Um, and I was just, I was spending some time with him and I, I said, Hey, you know, I, I'm here right now at, at your church and I'm so thankful for it. God is touching me. He's healing me. I'm, I'm getting fed, but I don't know how long I'm going to be here for, you know, I don't know. And, and it was actually just a couple weeks later that, um, then the opportunity opened up at the church I'm now serving at, um, in the free Methodist church. Um, but the thing he said to me was, you know, it is not about the four walls of this church. It's about the kingdom. 
It's about the kingdom. And if God is calling you to this other place, then that's not for me to stop you. Mm. Um, you know, cause it's not about our four walls. It's about the kingdom. And, um, he told me another story where he, he makes an intentional effort to bless. If people feel called to go elsewhere, you know, he will bless them and send them away, send them out. Mm. Um, he makes an intentional effort to bless them and send them uh to to par- or to compare this when i told um the pastor of the church that i left who was a family member as well that i was leaving i i got a laundry list of his concerns about the problems for my life and basically why he is concerned that if i leave none of these problems are going to be fixed right. like i'm just going to struggle with these issues and it's going to be a problem um those are two two very different things um, I was not blessed when I left. I, I was not given an encouragement, you know, go to the rest of the kingdom and go where God wants you to be. Uh, there, there was no, there was no blessing in, in when I left. Um, and so the question is, you know, for those who are listening, if maybe you're feeling God's calling you elsewhere, maybe there is an environment that's not healthy, you know, ask your leadership about, so, you know, what happens if I go? Like, what if I, what if I feel God is calling me elsewhere? Because the, the demeanor and the mentality I grew up in is this is the place God speaks. This is the place God meets. And if you want to hear God and have God's best for you, you will stay right here in this mm-hmm. church and you will stay right here in this fellowship of churches. You know, if, if you need to move to another state, go to the church that's part of our organization as part of this church. Cause we are the people that hear from God. And if you want God's best, you're going to stay with us Yeah, where that that's not healthy. That is toxic and abusive. It, it really, and there's no other way of putting it. And that made such an impact when my friend said, you know, you know, wherever you need to go, it's not about us. It's about the kingdom. It's not about our four walls. It's about the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so ask yourself, ask your church, ask others, you know, is it about just us and our building here? Or is it about the greater kingdom of God? Yeah. Um, and, and that'll tell you a lot about how they feel about how they see themselves compared to other churches. Mm. Um, and, and that'll, that'll probably kind of give you the information you need to know is, will this church bless me when I leave or curse me when I leave? Yeah, I can relate a little bit to this as well. Um, in 2017, my wife and I decided to go to youth with the mission. We felt the pull mm. of God saying, you know, go um, and be all in, and uh, we decided to act on that. And I had a meeting with our pastor, and he um, he's gone now. Um, but he said, uh, um, "You can go, you can go do this, but we're not going to pray over you. We're not going to." Uh, and and one thing I didn't realize with with leaving uh, to go and essentially just be trained. It's a discipleship training school. Like you're mm-hmm. bettering yourself mm-hmm. as a Christian. You're getting more in depth with the scriptures. And you're getting bolder as a Christian to go out and pray for people and things like that. And, and it's only six months, and then you're back at the church, really. Um, you're yeah. better equipping yourself. And one thing I noticed is, I only noticed this when I got to Youth With A Mission, is that all of my other students or classmates, they had the blessing from their church, and a lot of them had the financial backing, so they, they did like a fundraise mm. for them to send them out into the mission field. Yeah. And um, we were told to not ask anybody for any money um, mm-hmm. and that that we absolutely would not be allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. We're not even going to say that you're leaving from stage. I was the drummer at church. Like people mm-hmm. noticed if, that I wasn't there for six months and they're, they're asking, where yeah. is he? And then this, the pastor was saying, oh, well, he's gone and done this mm-hmm. youth with a mission thing. Yeah. And they're like, oh, that's mm-hmm. great. Why didn't we hear about it? And he's like, oh, yeah. oh. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, um, and, and that, that is so, so telling kind of secretiveness as well. Yeah. Um, that kind of comes along kind of with these toxic church environments. Now the caveat is like there, there is, you know, there are times where maybe leadership and wise counsel is telling you not to do something and you shouldn't go do something, but they're not going to do it for the reason of keeping you mm-hmm. like, you know, m- you know, sometimes we get, we as humans can be obstinate and not hear rightly what god is saying and and other people can speak into our lives you know being the voice you know kind of like a prophet almost you know telling us maybe the lord's not telling you to do this so there are those instances too absolutely um yeah it can it can 
just the the mentality of focusing on us and our four walls rather than the kingdom and then the secretiveness as well. Yeah. You know, when I mentioned I was leaving, I was asked not to say anything for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's why? A, it's a strange like, thing. What's the fruit of that? You know, it's probably yeah. better to be able to explain yourself um, mm-hmm. so that you're leaving with, with you know, no bitterness or anything like yep. that. People got to know where and, you're gone. <laughs> and all I said, all I said when I was leaving was I, I feel like God is calling me elsewhere. And that's all I said. Yeah. Um, you know, there was no other, there was no questions about, you know, why are you leaving? What are your concerns? Like, is there a reason yep. like what, what's led up to this? There was no question. There was no concern or care as to why mm-hmm. it was basically just like, well, you made your decision. Good riddance. Um, because, and, and this ties into toxic environments and, and I'll, I'll send you a link as well. There's a really great article that kind of lays out some key telltale signs of toxic church environments. Um, you know, if you can add that in the show notes, um, because I look down this list and I'm like, oh, well, maybe there's only two or three things here that maybe apply. And then the more I looked at him, like, oh, all, all, all of these things apply. Never mind. Mm -hmm. Um, as the farther you get away with it, the more clarity you have to see what was so wrong and so toxic. And so even in conversations of people who've just recently left, there's still kind of some of the rosy eyed glasses. Um, but the the farther that they've moved away from this, the the more clarity that the true clarity that they've received as they as they've received healing yep. and as they've worked out things, they see how much how dysfunctional it was in the rearview mirror. Right. Um yeah with with some of that but if there was no concern or care oh what like what why are you going like yeah. is there a reason why like you know there was no exit interview so to speak mm-hmm. well a, a healthy environment wants an exit interview because they need to know like if we have problems we want to fix it yeah um but instead we're just going to make up our own we're going to make up our own narrative that's that's a key thing we're going to make up our own narrative and we're going to sweep it under the rug because we don't want to deal with it Um, and those are two, two other things that happen all the time that happened for me as well. And and for others, I know, um, so those will be kind of signs when you're looking at that. One of the really cool redemptive parts for Laura and myself, when we went to uh, youth with a mission is, you know, sort of going against our old pastor. So it's not the pastor that we've got now for anybody listening. It's a different pastor. Um, and the, we got to Youth with the Mission and we met, you know, all the different denominations, like you were saying, you know, Catholic, Pentecostal, you know, you got all, everything there, all, all the, the whole rainbow, mm-hmm. different kind of rainbow. But, um, <laughs> and I learned, because I used to be so narrow minded that these people, I would, if I saw a friend of mine that was a Christian, but he was in a different denomination, I, <laughs> I actually felt that he backslided and I realized mm-hmm. how wrong I was. Um, that it's it's a it's the body is those that love God and they love people, mm-hmm. and yes, mm-hmm. not everybody's got their theology a hundred percent, and but none of us do. <laughs> not, none of us do, and that's the whole point is to uh, live and grow and breathe God together. Mm-hmm. And when I came back to my church after six months away, um, I remember Laura and I were sitting in church and. Man, we saw like everything that was going wrong with the church, and we were praying. We're going, Lord, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to leave the church? Do you want us to stay? Um, and it was because uh, I suppose maybe some of the theology that was being taught was if you think mm-hmm. anything outside of this, you're absolutely wrong. You're not even a Christian. That's like it was pretty mm-hmm. extreme yeah. sometimes. And um, I remember one pastor talking about predestination. If you believe in predestination, it's demonic and you're going to hell, you know, the Calvinistic mm-hmm. view. And I was like, well, to be fair, it'd be pretty hard to know if something's predestined or not from our perspective. <laughs> um, yeah. And I don't, you know, I absolutely don't think the Calvinists are demonically led or anything. I think they're absolutely saved. But um, I remember seeing this these huge holes and going, God, what do I do? You know, what mm-hmm. What do I do? Yeah. Like, it's easy to, to, when you're looking for the things that are wrong in the church, man, you'll find mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah. But he said to us, he said, I've sent you to that church, and you're seeing all of the things that are wrong, mm-hmm. but your job and your job only is to be the light. So mm-hmm. we went, and we continued to go to church, and actually things ended up changing from us just being there. And, and I'm not saying, like, I know um, some God will say, I want you to, go somewhere else for mm-hmm. us particularly. And I'm saying this 
just for our listeners so that they don't all see everything wrong with their churches and all leave. Yeah. Um, but to see, pray about it, ask the Lord what to do. Mm-hmm. And for what he told us to do was to be the light and actually yeah. go to church and, uh, you know, lovingly when like we run Bible studies throughout our mm-hmm. uh, every, every week on a Tuesday and uh, one of the key things in our Bible study is we have churches from all over our town come come to our house. It's not just our church and the people in our church. Mm-hmm. It's the body of believers all coming together to learn. And they've all got different yeah. different thoughts and stuff like yeah. that. And, yeah, I, I think that's, that's the key that a lot of churches forget and get that cultural mm-hmm. twist that happens where it's my way or the yeah. highway. Um, yeah. That's one thing YWAM and, does really well. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and we have to look at it as the kingdom because um, yep. church denominations go. Church buildings and church congregations come and go. Yep. Um, that's that's the reality of human history, but it's it's about the kingdom of God. You know, it's about, you know, the kingdom is like the mustard seed. It starts small, but then it grows and grows into a mighty tree. And, you know, over the course of history, we see the impact the church has made on the world and it will continue to do so until Christ returns. Amen. Um, but, you know, we have to we have to understand every because churches are filled with problems. We're, we're, we're all dysfunctional people in, in some way, shape or form. We're all messed up. Yep. We all need <laughs> the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. You know, just a caveat, you know, what I said at the beginning of the episode kind of relating to emotionalism, the Holy Spirit, you know, it's not all emotionalism. You know, uh, our emotions should be tapped in when we worship and engage with God. But as well, you know, in my la- the last couple of years of my life, I've seen more people you know, act with more power of the Holy Spirit than I've ever seen. And these are people outside of the definition that people in the background I'm from would say they would even have access to the Holy Spirit in a certain mm. way. Um, you know, so the Holy Spirit, he is, he's working and, and the, th- the way he works is, is so amazing. Um, but we also don't want to be like, you know, toxic church hunters in a sense, you know, there's yeah. not a toxic church hunt, uh, you know, hiding under every single roof. Yeah. Um, because we're, because we're humans. We're, uh, as my pastor puts it, we're all stupid. Um, like, <laughs> You know, in in our own way, you know, we all just do dumb things and say dumb stuff, and we're all dumb sometimes, and that's the reality of hum, human experience. But there there are toxic churches out there, and there are toxic leadership structures out there, and you know, those two things are different. You know, yeah. normal human interactions are one thing, but you know, truly toxic are are another. And you know, last thing I'll say on this is, um, for a lot of us, it's not this kind of you know. Machiavellian conniving evil of oh I want to dominate and control people all of us whether we know it or not operate out of our brokenness some way Mm. we all operate out of brokenness Um, our responses to situations operate out of the brokenness that we've experienced from our parents or from other people and so I think of a particular family member and I really love him he is one of the smartest people that I know ever just a super, super smart, intelligent guy. Um, I respect him a lot and uh, love him a lot. And he also is operating out of the brokenness of his own experience. Um, and when you're operating and you're working out of that brokenness and you don't recognize it, you then project that onto other people and you're now operating out of it towards other people. Mm. Um, and so you know, I'm not angry at this person. You know, I, I'm not mad. Um, I, I pray for him and I love him. And I, I pray that the Lord opens his eyes to see how, how he's currently operating out of brokenness and how he can be healed. Yeah. Um, cause that's what Christ promises is to transform how we do things. Mm. Um, and we're never going to be perfect, um, but when we recognize those areas of brokenness, we can ask then the Holy Spirit to touch them and to heal them. And then we're not going to perpetrate because he's a second, he's a second generation mm. of, of operating out of brokenness. Yeah. Um, and in a way I would have been the third, but by the grace of God, he turned my life upside down. Um, so my, my hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit opens all of our eyes to the ways that we are working out of the brokenness in our lives mm. so that he can show us so he can heal us um, and fix those cycles because it'll it'll be a continual vicious cycle until yeah. the Holy Spirit speaks and heals. Um, and that's what he did in my life. That is my testimony of what 
uh, Christ has done. Um, and that's my hope for all who come to know him. Yeah, man, Joel, that is so good. And I definitely agree with everything that you've said. And it's important to understand as Christians that we don't live in a perfect church. Uh, there can be toxic environments and our prayer is to just bring the Holy Spirit to bring as much wisdom as possible how to navigate that, you know, in our lives. And maybe it is going to a different church. Um, maybe it is staying. But for anybody listening, the most important thing is to seek the Holy Spirit in that decision. And uh, make my favorite prayer that I always pray, like religiously now, mm-hmm. is Lord, make it abundantly clear. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's if, if he's going to move you, he'll make it really clear mm-hmm. for you to move. Yeah. Um, if he wants you to stay, he'll make it really clear that you need to stay. Yep. And, um, yeah. and how Amen. to be... Like how to have that grace with people knowing, you know, everybody's broken, everybody's mm-hmm. not perfect, everybody's stupid. So mm-hmm. to realize yeah. that and just walk it out, be Christ mm-hmm. as much as possible and lean on the Holy Amen. Spirit with everything. Uh, Joel, Amen. you're an amazing yeah. man of God. And I just Thank want you. to remind all of our listeners um, to make sure that they go check out the Pastor's Call podcast. I'll leave mm-hmm. a, a link in the description below. Perfect. And can I just give 30 seconds on that? Go for it. Um, the, the Pastor's Call podcast, it, it is an elf, outgrow of my own pastoral formation. Um, I, I don't know what it was, but um, I wanted to um, I wanted to explore what following the call of pastoral ministry was in different contexts because I was so used to one small microcosm that was so closed off to the rest of the body. And I've had the opportunity to talk to Pentecostals and Baptists and Presbyterians and Anglicans and the whole denominational spectrum um, to to see how different men and women have followed the call of the same gospel in different contexts and denominations and ways of worshiping. Um, And so it's been for my own formation, but I hope that for anybody who listens, and you don't have to be a pastor or interested in being a pastor, but just to hear some of the struggles that pastors go through as well, some of the things that they're facing. But for those who are interested in pursuing pastoral ministry, already in pastoral ministry, you know, I hope that they're encouraged by hearing the stories of those who've gone before as well. Um, and for anybody who listens, you know, listen to what what is the call of God for people to be a pastor like. So, so good. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Jesus Magnet. Hope you enjoyed it and stay in tune for next week on The Jesus Magnet. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Jesus Magnet Podcast. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you connect with us. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram. And if you want to support us, be a member of our coffee club, Jesus Magnet Coffee Club. See you next time on The Jesus Magnet.